Hi, you're listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life with me, your host, Mimi Novik. I'm so happy and thrilled to have you here with me. I have created this series for all of us so we can change our world together and live a more holistic and balanced life. Together, we will share lots of inspiring stories from all walks of life, speak with leading experts, enjoy healthy living ideas, explore music and subjects that inspire each other to always have hope. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate all of you. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Secrets for an Inspirational Life. Thank you very much for joining me today and I hope that you are all well and peaceful and healthy wherever you are in the world. Now one of the eternal questions that we all somehow at some point in our life ask ourselves is what is it that ignites that spark of imagination that keeps our dreams alive? What is it that keeps the passion for life burning? And sometimes I think to myself, surely it's the freedom to be our own unique selves in a world, as the famous saying says, that is constantly trying to make us the same. But We have to be brave and we have to be strong and courageous and dance to our own music and beat to the drumming of our own heart. And somehow, somehow, amongst all the craziness in the world, remain true to our own hearts and our own mission in life to create a beautiful world together. Now, this is why I am I cannot tell you how excited I am. I've been jumping up and down ever since this next guest has agreed to come on the show because he is somebody that when I was young, I listened to all the time and I am extremely honoured to have here the very delightful and a real legend in my eyes. Um, I can't wait to tell you actually, Tom Morley. And... Tom is a drummer, a trainer and and an entertainer. And Tom was the original drummer and founder member of the group, the 80s band called Scritti Politti, who were pioneers of DIY music before appearing successfully on the dance scene. He's also worked with some of the greats and recorded with David Bowie and with Madness, to name a few. In 1999, because he has done so many things, and this is just the beginning that I'm going to introduce him, he, with Dawn Ellis, which is his wife, founded Instant Teamwork, which is the international arts-based team-building company. And his talents and his music and his projects have taken him worldwide to places such as New York, Moscow, Johannesburg, Istanbul, Paris, London, and the list goes on. And Tom has drummed and harmonised with hundreds of energised teams in the last 20 years. And you have to watch the videos. You have to see what he does because it's absolutely 
amazing. So today, with great honour, he takes us on a fascinating journey and I can't wait for you to meet him. Welcome to you, Tom. Listening to your intro, I was actually sitting down because I was thinking if there's a podcast, I don't have to do it standing up like I do all my Zoom calls. But I got so excited, I thought I'm going to stand up because then it's just, I'm going to answer your questions, Bella, standing. So I'm kind of uh, yeah, in we, front of the screen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, have to say, I have to say to the listeners, Tom looks fantastic because I wish you could see him. But because this is audio only, you can't. But you'll have to have a look on his site on the things that he does because it, it's so extravagant and <clears throat> it's wonderful he has feathers in his hat and he's looking dapper and very fancy i have to say (laughs) (laughs) and he has all his drums around him which um is amazing as well thank you so much for joining me today tom pleasure pleasure and it is actually it's quite a good way to start because i do um get people to stand up a lot it's it's interesting my I'm the youngest of four boys in the family and the rest of the family went into the furniture business. And I always have this joke that they spend their lives getting people to sit down. I get them standing up. (laughs) (laughs) It was the only role left in the family. (laughs) That was the only one that wasn't taken. (laughs) That's right. right. I wasn't going to be the fourth one to get everybody sitting down. What can I do do to stand out? Oh, I know, I'll get everybody standing up. And then once I got them standing up, I thought, oh, now I better do something with them. So consequently, I get them to sing, drum, move around, create harmony groups. They, they uh, I mean, I'm talking about instant teamwork here, the company, mm. but I, I learned this um, from, do you know what? It was, oh, well, it's been quite a circuitous route, but it's via the personal development mm. route. Uh, probably about 30 years ago that I got into that sort of stuff just through attending courses and I found energetically, yeah, it's much better to, to get that work done standing unless you meditate and even then I, I'm quite active so I would meditate doing Tai Chi I, you know, so. I tell the tell the listeners, Tom, a little bit because you it's a fascinating journey and this drumming when you um, take a look, everybody, at what actually Tom does, you will want to get up and jump up and down because there's such a vibrancy about him and what he does. It creates, in a way, it's tribal, isn't it, Tom? It It is a whole tribe of people somehow yeah. getting together and it it it's incredible energy. But tell us a little bit. Let's go back a little bit. Yeah. Um, and tell us how it all started, and especially how um, you were with Scritti Politi. And I was listening to that, actually, this morning, and, you know, jumping around. Um, but, yes, let us start a little bit back and tell us a little yeah. bit about your life. Yeah. Well, I I grew up thinking I was going to be an artist. I was very shy. and But I could communicate with drawings and stuff, so uh, I would just draw pictures rather than speak um i could speak but uh i preferred not to up until i was about 12 when i I realized i was gonna have to start talking 
um, in order to get the attention of young women. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> well, it's handy. It's handy. Yeah. So yeah, it's handy. So uh, I was going to be a graphic designer. I went to art school in Brighton, where I lived. I lived on the south coast. Just started in the foundation year, and they said, "Look, you shouldn't really be a graphic designer. Your your ideas are too wacky." They said, "You're good at graphics, but you'd waste your time. We suggest you go and do fine art." So I looked for the freest course in the country. There was like a four-year foundation course where I could try everything. And I got into Leeds Polytechnic, which at the time had people like Jeff Nuttall uh, from the Situationists. And uh, it was kind of perform. Yeah, you could do everything there. It was like a way- it-, it was this amazing place, Polytechnic. It doesn't sound very glamorous, but there was a kind of glorious uh, university across the road where people like the Gang of Four went. But uh, uh, the Polytechnic... It was we were. It was just a big warehouse, and you had to carve yourself out of space, and, and then just start doing something. And you could go to the. There was one old guy. If you wanted any materials, um, you had to go and convince this old guy behind the desk. I can't remember his name. It might have been Jeff. We've been there a long time. He was like. It's almost like the sort of jailer. Can you imagine in a sort of Dickensian novel? Yeah. You had to explain him what what you wanted. So at one point I thought, yeah, I will do this sort of self-referential piece where I'll buy some reinforced glass and I'll get someone to photograph me smashing it with a hammer and then I'll put the photograph behind the reinforced glass and, that's how, and I'll display it nine times in a grid of nine. So I went to talk to Jeff about it, and I said, Jeff, I want, I want nine panes of reinforced glass. And he said, mm, sounds, sounds interesting. Uh, what are you going to do with it? I'm going to smash it with a hammer. Hmm. Mm. All right, then. And then he'd just sign it off, sign off his chip. <laughs> so, so I spent four years, well, three years doing that. All sorts of stuff. We could just get funded. You know, the, the, the famous one, I think, before us, before we got there, was um, someone just said, yeah, I want to do a performance sitting in a, a bath full of baked beans for, for, for an hour. So they just bought this guy a whole load of baked beans. You could get funded for that. You didn't have to pay it back. They paid for you to go and live there. You know? Wow. <laughs> but there I met one of my, uh, the, one of the first people I met there was Green, the singer of Scritty Politic. In our first year, we didn't want to go to all the freshers stuff, so we just sort of hang out, chatting, and um, we decided, yeah, pretty soon we had to find a place to live up there, so we found a house together. And, and Green gradually educated me in uh, left-wing politics, so by the end of my, <laughs> the end of our time, having spent all of this government money on being fine artists, we said, do you know what? sticking stuff on the walls we don't know what effect we're having really but if we were to form a band and people were to sing dance you know and kind of groove their lives along to us then we'd know it'd be immediate feedback and it'd be easier than getting our work in a gallery because at that time there was the clash there was the whole sex pistols tour that you know Mm. three chords and get on stage sort of culture so we, th- we thought that was very much more in line with our politics. So it's a curious thing to give up 
something that I'd spent my whole life devoted to, which was art, graphics, design, uh, and then just say, well, politically, I don't agree with that anymore. <laughs> I'm going to be a musician. I'd better learn an instrument. And um, a bit like the family thing and the sitting down. Yeah. Uh, Greg Lorelli played the guitar. His mate, Neil, uh, who was our first bass player, was learning the bass. So I said, all right, I'll play the drums. Which I was kind of, I had a feel for anyway. Whenever mm. I played the bongos at party, um, people would dance. So I knew uh, I had a kind of groove inside of me. So, so that's how we formed Scripty And then we moved to London from Leeds. And we opened up a squat in Camden Town. And, uh, man, I mean, we just lived on a shoestring for years with... with We'd go around getting carpet out of skips to bang on the wall of our rehearsal room, which we thought was very soundproof, but we used to hear people in, <laughs> in the street singing our songs. Oh. Go, how, how do you know that song? We haven't released it. They go, we hear it every day when you're rehearsing it. So, oh. <laughs> so all that carpet, it, uh, I mean, made us feel better, but it, I don't think it's soundproof in place at all. <laughs> you tried, you tried. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a sterling effort, I have to say. Um, yeah, so then we... Um, I mean, I can just keep talking if you want, if you want to know about the history. Yes, of I do, I do. Please, it's very interesting. So from there, from that rehearsal room, we... we um, the whole DIY ethic... We, we went to see a group called the Desperate Bicycles because they were one of the first groups to make an independent record. Aside, you know, without any record company backing, because before that, in well, actually before sort of seventy six, everyone thought, oh yeah, yeah, you have to go and impress an A and R person, and then they have to give you a deal, then they have to pick your studio, and then they get the record made. Mm. Um, and they said you don't have to do that; you can just record your own, book, book a studio for as long as you want, pay whatever you want, you know, whatever you can afford, take the tape away, uh, get it, get a test pressing by this place, uh, by this guy, Porky Prime Cut, down in Portland Place. So we did all that, mm. and we got two acetates made to take to the pressing plant where we were going next, and we said, oh, look, it's a BBC just across the road. Why don't we take this duff one? There's, there's one that we got cut which wasn't quite right. The bass wasn't quite right. So we said, let's just drop it off at the door and say, can you give this to John Peel? Uh, and we were listening to the radio that night. We took out this tiny little transistor radio, right? Yeah. And we took it to the pub um, up the road in Camden. And we and at 10 o'clock, Peel came on and said, yeah, yeah, tonight I'm going to be playing you The Fool. I'm going to be playing you The, you know, this list of groups. Uh, and I'll also be introducing Scrutiny Politics. Uh, no. We, yeah, we could not believe it. We couldn't believe it. And they played these three songs. Um, well, actually, he might have just played Skankbop Bologna. Um, and then he said, yeah, if you're out there, guys, just um, give us a call. We'll get you in for a session. Oh, my so God. From, from nine nothing uh, and not even kind of smelling a record company door, we uh, we were just invited onto the John Peel show. What a stroke uh, of luck. Yeah, I mean, it was 
uh, so things rolled from there. We went to see Rough Trade. I mean, the great thing was um, Rough Trade, Jeff's a lovely guy, and the whole Rough Trade culture we liked. Um, and they played our stuff actually in the shop at that point. The office was out the back, but there was too much noise in the office. They said, let's go and play it in the shop. So it was as if um, <laughs> the record was out. It's just a tape, you know. And there was people nodding along saying, oh, where can I buy that? Oh, you know, and how did you feel of... about that, Tom? Um, what was that was feeling? Like, it was like being in a dream. Mm. The, uh, the, the weird thing is, it's like being in a dream and it's also like being completely normal because that is what they did. You know, that's what Jeff did. Uh, I think he did it sort of deliberately to test people's nerve. You know, it, mm. it, it, you know, he's still out there. You know, he's quite a complex guy, Jeff. But he he knew right from the beginning, you know, how to um, how to work with people, how to get the best out of people. So, um, so uh, and he listened. He said, "Yeah, yeah, I like it, but it's not quite for us." So, so we said, "All right, we'll release it on our own independent record label, which I wanted to call Camden Records." So did the. Uh, we all for a while. Mm. So I did all the logos, Camden Records with the circle that was going in the middle. And then Green said, um, Camden's getting a bit trendy. We don't want to be too trendy. Why don't we be some Pancras Records? But some Pancras was more industrial at that point. Yeah. It was all old, um, old railroad houses and stuff, and kind of ripped up rail, rails, warehouses. So eventually we agreed on St Pancras Records because it was St Pancras and then um, and then later on we said we better look up who St Pancras is <laughs> this is once we'd had stamped for the record 500 of them on our kitchen table it turns out St Pancras is, is the patron saint of young people which there's oh. a kind of double-edged thing because we thought oh damn that's why people think we picked it because it's mm. you have to be so careful with branding Anyway, there we were, some Pancras Records. We get a call from Jeff at Rough Trade. So I've listened to your song again. We really love it. We'd like you to sign us. Uh, we'd like to sign you. So, but that, that by that time, we'd already stamped the record. So we said, well, we'll do a kind of co-release and we'll put you on the, uh, I think we put them on the sleeve as well. <clears throat> the sleeve was just a photocopy. Well, actually, do you know what the sleeve wasn't photocopied? It was done on one of those old printers. Oh, right. Um, which, uh, what, what did you call them? Like Banda. Uh, so we hand printed them, and then we, the sleeves, yeah, were kind of just a folded A, like A4 sheet round the test pressing looking thing. Mm. And that was done at the Communist Party headquarters down in King Street in London, which is now an HSBC bank, ironically. But at that point, we were working with the Communist Party, putting out their young people's paper for the young communist. Mm -hmm. so it's called Challenge. Because we were in the Young Communist League, which I never really liked the name of the Young Communist League, but we're, we're pretty left-wing, so we thought, let's not do it on our own, let's do it with other people. Mm. <laughs> the, revolution, the revolution, that is. That's the it I'm referring to. Yes, yes. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, and, and we had a number of people kind of with it. I'll tell you the funniest thing. If you, um, 
if you like a band now, you kind of go onto Twitter and you you see if you can get their attention by tweeting or following on, yeah. on Instagram. We just put our address on our record label. We said, if you want to know anything, come and see us. So we used to get bands knocking on the door and saying, can we talk to you about making a record? So, uh, so, we, so we invited them in for a cup of tea. And if we liked them, we'd say, let's go down the pub. And then we <laughs> that, that's our sort of filter. That was, yes. <laughs> our filter system. <laughs> <laughs> and who did you have coming to the door? Um, we had... Uh, do you know, there's a group called The The. In fact, they, The The, uh, Matt, he, he just wrote to us, but we told him quite a lot. Um, there were uh, a group called The Door and a Window. Um, Simon, Simon Emerson from uh, Afrobeat, or Afro Kelp Sound System, was one of our gang at that time. So uh, we talked to him a lot. I mean, we, we all just used to hang out together. We played some gigs together. So we were like a kind of collective of not that up the road there was the musicians collective, which was more sort of experimental music, but we were like a a kind of more street collective of yeah, let's just bang out three chords. I mean, I have to say we we helped a lot of people make five hundred records. Probably four hundred eighty is still under their bed somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> However, you know, it, it was a punt. We were all just trying it out. And um, my mate Simon Gillum, who, uh, I, man, I can't remember the name of his band. It, his second band was Interferon with Simon Fellows. And we, with Simon Fellows, we went out with Madonna when she broke up with Sean Penn. So, oh, okay. so there was all this stuff going on. It, it was all this big kind of melee of talent and intrigue and betrayal and drunkenness and bands breaking down and yeah the the usual usual rock and roll yeah Yeah. etc and how was it for you tom how when it sort of going from being a band to Mm. being well known how did that um happen and how was your feeling about that um, well, it's very, when you're in it, uh, I, I mean, you can talk to anybody about this. When you're in it, it's, it's really organic. It's just like what's happening next. Um, and there's, I've since read, of course, as everyone has now about imposter syndrome. And I remember, um, uh, William Shatner saying, yeah, if someone knocked on the door and said, Okay, we've come for the pool. We've come for the car. We've taken the house. We've uh, we've got your room down the Holiday Inn where you can stay for a week. After that, you're on your own. We've discovered you haven't got any talent. He he said, uh, "Yeah, I would just put, you know pack a bag and say it's a fair cop. Um, thanks for getting the room for a week." So I I think most people who are becoming successful mm. have some of that going on, and in what since I've gone into more kind of spiritual work, I've found even if that is going on, there's a kind of spiritual peace that goes on inside you going, yeah, yeah, all right, well, I'm meant to be doing this. 
now now instead of a hundred people I'm talking to a thousand people or two thousand people but but the thing um you know aside from all the details of clubs and whatever mm. benefit the, the, the thing I, I think you have to hold on to in any venture like that is what are my values if, if my values are social justice love connection and being a, of service to the world in a way that I'm always part of the solution as much as I can be, then it seems like the, the support or the money or the lack of money or the deals, or it, it's just like that is this stuff that is allowing me to do my work, you know, and inspire mm. more people. So so in a way, you just you have to just take it. it, it if you, you know, I, I've seen people believe... Uh, it's something to do with them. You know, it's all about me and my talent and my haircut and my this and my that and my brand. It makes me sick, all these people talking about their brand. And mm-hmm. they, don't, they, they don't even have anything to sell. It's, um, when I say sorry if it makes me sick, because uh, no. <laughs> it, it makes me suspicious of people going for the brand first mm-hmm. before they know what their values are. You know, the, the whole thing of pop idol i just want to be famous i've always known i was going to be famous you know for what what you know you could say i want to be famous because i have this great love for the world and Mm. i know it's so big that opportunities are going to come my way to do something about it but Mm. don't just want to be famous because you're young and you know curves on your body are, are aesthetically pleasing for a few years you know it's but I think a lot of people are like that, aren't they now, Tom? It's uh, it's being famous for the sake of being famous. It doesn't matter what you're famous for, just as long as you're famous. Yeah, it's a big mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it can only end in heartache. But, but it, unless, you see, if you're Beyonce or someone, you can really sing and really dance, you know, and add some ideas, mm. then... Um, then it's fine, you know, to say, this is my brand, I'm doing this perfume, that, I'm doing that, that, that. You know, it kind of makes sense because it's all based around a talent and, and a kind of relentless energy to, to keep performing and inspiring people. Mm. So so I think I think the model's all right. I think it's, um, you know, to, because if you follow uh, the kind of spiritual route of why we're here, you know, to experience our separation from the mighty spirit, then we might as well really experience that separation and say, right, this is my brand. I'm completely unique. This is why I'm unique. And this is uh, my reach in the world. You know, that is the uh, branding, I think, is a spiritual journey. And I think it's probably one of the deepest because you have to (laughs) get down to two or three words. Who am I? I'm a rock star activator. It took me 20 years to come up with that. But that is actually what I do. And I've discovered that through team building. I've been talking to CEOs in bars of posh hotels saying, yeah, it's all about energy, it's all about imagination, it's all about creativity, left and right brain, connected left and right. And they go, yeah, what was it like on the road? Was there, was there groupies? You know, so all, all they want to talk about is being a rock star. So I mm-hmm. thought, okay, well, then I have to brand myself as a rock star who can activate their kind of inner rock star. 
Now, it's the same work and it's the same spiritual work, mm. but it's just a way in that they are interested in because nobody wants to uh, hear... I know all about the neuroscience of it, but that nobody wants to hear an artist talk about neuroscience. They want to hear a scientist talk about neuroscience. Yeah, yeah. Very... So I have to say, I, um, if I want to talk to them about that sort of thing, I have to say, I was really drunk the other night and I got chatting to a neuro... I don't drink, right? Mm. <laughs> I got chatting to a neuroscientist in the bar and uh, they told me, yeah, do you know what you do on stage? I've watched what you do. You activate this, and activate that. And that way I can get it all in. But I can't say, yeah, I've been I've been reading books. They go, you, reading books? Play the drums, mate. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is a rock star activator, Tom? Well... I only came up with this about uh, six months ago mm. through a mate of mine called Jamil Qureshi, who's a speaker, sports psychologist, very accomplished um, corporate speaker, and he's trained a lot of people to get to the top of their game. Um, he, he said, I've watched you a few times now, Tom, and that's what you are, because before that I, I called myself a rhythmic ringmaster which I kind of felt like <clears throat> I was the ringmaster in the circus. Mm. Um, seeing the talent in the groups that I was working with and sort of and bringing it to the stage, if you like, um, bringing it out, excuse me, facilitating it to be bigger. Um, but that kind of denied my role as a performer because the ringmaster only really introduces other people. So I thought, I've got to step up. You know, in, in terms of the spiritual journey that I was mm. talking about, eventually you have to step up and go, I'm going to wear the hat. It's like the ringmaster says, I'm not going to introduce the elephant, so I'm going to sing you a song. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the ringmaster is a fascinating character. He, yeah, he runs the show. He runs the show, and mm. the uh, and the circus would not hold together without. So, mm. so I have I have an aspect of that, but still, of course. But um, the rock star activator. First of all, it says, it, do, you, "Do you know what I? Uh, I get some interest on LinkedIn, or I used to get only a little interest on LinkedIn mm. when I was a keynote speaker. That's what it said on my, on my profile. Keynote speaker, screw pretty drummer." Blah, 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 team builder. Mm. As soon as I put Rockstar Activator, suddenly, in you know, I've got a graph of it. People who wanted to connect with me mm. went right up. So it's a word, like I say, it's what everyone wants to talk about in the bar. But um, if you talk to most people, they say, "Oh yeah, when I was young, I wanted to be a drummer. I wanted to be a guitarist. I wanted." this you know they wanted to be some character i wanted to be a dancer i wanted to be so that is still dormant in everybody and it's not um it's not limited to our culture i think most people you know wanted to do something special when i mean it could be you know you get rock stars of sport or mm. something special but of course we we are encouraged to compromise and do a, a milder sort of job that has less risks and more regular pay <laughs> but less satisfaction 
Less well, well, it's a different satisfaction. Mm. I wouldn't say it's less. Uh, there is a satisfaction in having um, a regular amount of money land in your uh, account every week. That I did do that one time, and I worked backstage in the, in the theatre, and I um, I really understood, you know, how relaxing that can be. You know, you do you do this work, and then you know you're going to have this set amount arrive in your account it's it's amazingly re relaxing so i can tell why people do it um but the the rock star gets frustrated dawn and i run a course called the wild twin okay. um, and and the wild twin is um refers to the fact that we were we were born as two twins this is a metaphor but it, it works well i can feel it as a reality as mm -hmm. well there's a, there's a sensible twin and there's a wild twin. Now, the sense as kids, they play all the time. And then when it comes to school times, the sensible kid gets all the attention. Sensible kid does their homework. Uh, sensible kid, get, you know, gets all the praise. Mm. So the one, so so the wild one goes. Do you know what? There's, it's not really much for me to do around here except get into trouble. So I'm off. I'm just going to go and live my life on my own. And the the call of this course is called the Call of the Wild Twin, where we call the Wild Twin back because the Wild Twin has been off on their adventures. And um, but in all, we can't just send them an email so uh, I'd like you to come back into my life because they're quite offended actually. Um, so we have to start <laughs> behaving in a way. That makes it look like we're worth coming to visit, you know, and join our party and see. You know, so, so our course is all about that sort of thing. And then we send people out into the woods to find their wild friend. And it's amazing. They find them. They know who their name is. They, they they describe the meeting. Yeah, she was up in the tree and she flew no, down. No, really? Yeah, yeah. And this is, she was a bit mad at me at first. But anyway, we're friends now and we're never going to part again other people say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a rather strange character. He came and tapped me on the shoulder. His name's Jeff. And, uh, yeah, he was pretty annoyed. But, but he's done some great things in his life. And now he's helping me understand. So so that is, that, that's another way of finding that rock star. It's the, it's the energy that really wanted to live life to the full. I suppose that is the way... Uh, of saying it it's still there but we we can't just say well I'll turn it on you know it's not just like flicking a switch I've been sensible for long enough I'll just switch, flick a switch um, we need to kind of prepare ourselves almost like a, a vessel or a, a transformer where we go right I'm going to have this body because it's got to take this much energy yeah. uh, and so you need to get fit you need to um know what your values are you need to be ready you know and then and then you, when, when you connect with that energy then there's a kind of natural ah oh, this is you know it's like that state of flow we talk a lot about flow mm. being at the crossroads of discipline and surrender and so you need the discipline of, of to be quite a you know healthy character and to have some moves have some skills and then you can surrender, and the surrender is saying to your intuition, "Okay, what should we do now?" It's like being loading up the car and you know being at the crossroads and going, "Where should we go?" 
knowing you've got the fuel, you've got all the, you know how to put the tent up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think I'm talking in very mixed metaphors. No, no, I love it. I love it. But tell me something. I'm interested yeah. in this twin. So, what is what's the course called again? The course is called the Call of the Wild Twin. The Call of the Wild Twin, and mm. it is. Is it like the inner child? In in effect, is it similar to that sort of principle? I would. T- I, I don't really talk about the inner child. I talk about the inner adult because. Ah, I, okay. The the inner child I have a lot of uh, sympathy with in its true sense, but I think it gets mistaken for dancing around the room waving scarves. You know, which is not what we do. You know, it's much more. It's kind of deeper. It, mm. th- that's why I call it the inner adult because most people, you know, having worked in the business world for twenty years. Schoolyard politics is just rife. I saw when I got out of music per se, you know, an art, and thought, right, I'm going to change things from the inside. I'm mm. going to go into the business world. I better shape up, you know, get really ready and be serious. And I just said, they're a bunch of kids, you know, with all their politicking and trying to mess each other up. And they have whole policies you know training policies in place training programs they get a new trainer officer they go yeah well i didn't invent that so i'm going to get my own people in even if it's working they have to have it on their cv that they brought in this new thing so consequently nothing ever remains constant in business in a way that it could actually affect any proper culture change Uh, i would say 90 percent of the time because people are always moving, they're always looking for the next opportunity, and when they get there, they want to change things, and the people who takes their place wants to change things, mm. so they can stamp it on their CV. So it's chaos. Mm. The whole of business is chaos. I've seen that. So that, 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 that I, yeah. That's where they need the inner, inner adult. You know, they need to say, oh, "I've arrived in my position. Let me let me look at this training program. Oh, it is working. Um, I tell you what, I'll just manage." the program that my predecessor put in place. That would be, you know, we don't need them dancing around the room waving a scarf. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... A, <laughs> it's well, it, it, you know, it, it's one way to have a little bit of fun. Yeah, well, but... it, 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 it's a way, you know, mm. I, I, I'm not against it. Mm. I, I'm, but your question was, is it like the inner child? And, uh, and I mean, it's not. It's not. Because I was, I wanted to, I asked, I'm asking you that because I had a conversation with somebody the other day and they were saying to me, you know, I've heard this so many times about the inner child, but what resonated more for me was this wild twin mm. as opposed to the mm. inner child. That never really resonated, that story. And they were saying to me, well, what is your inner child? What's your inner child doing? And I said, I don't know. So mm. the lady was saying, well, ask. And I said, mm, she's eating ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean... Well, that, yeah. As, as, as a metaphor, it, mm. like I say, it works if you, uh, if you use it in a deep way because you could say, yeah, uh, minor child is... It's something Marianne Williamson says, is that if you watch children, they're very serious when they play. They have rules, they have... Um, they make up all sorts of complex things in their mind. Half the time, they're not smiling when they're playing. They're looking very intense. Mm. Now, that inner child I'm interested in, the one that people 
think of as I don't know, kind of um, being silly, or, or they say, let's be silly like your inner child. My my inner child wasn't isn't silly at all. It's really serious. <laughs> it's anxious about yeah. the world mm. as I was as a child. Mm. Um, I could see what was going on. I could see adults were really messing it up. I thought adults were very strange in any case when I was a child because I thought yeah. they don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. A lot of us kind of intuitives were confused because mm. <laughs> and and we we had to rely on them to you know to to stay alive. But you'd think, well, all right, I'll, I'll do it, but you wait till I grow up, mate. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. And I remember my one of my earliest memories, Tom, was um, playing in the garden and looking at all these people who were, we lived in a village and mm. they were adults and they were having the most bizarre conversations. And I remember thinking, is this what it is to be an adult? Because I'm not having any of that. <laughs> I'm not going to be like you. This is like, yeah. you are all mad. And I remember thinking that as a child, that they're all mad. And I actually had all the answers. But how is it, I thought, that I'm so little, but yeah. I can't put it into practice what's in my mind? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, and it's it's very frustrating, I think, at that age because you can't imagine ever being that big. Yeah, I remember thinking that when I was five. People say, "Oh, you'll grow," and I think, "I won't. I'll, I'll never, never <laughs> be in that. They're huge, <laughs> and they're so old." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like right. if someone was twenty. I remember thinking, "Wow, they're twenty. Yeah. They're so old that. now." I know, and anyone who, when we were teenagers, anyone who was thirty was just that's well the ancient. End. That's the end. Yeah, that's the end. If you've written your will, <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely that. Um, and and I still find it. I have to be honest with you, um, Tom, because I'm still looking at people and thinking how strange. Because I'm in this yeah. sort of, I for me it's normal of this. I have a childlike heart. But I have this seriousness. But as you said, you know, my inner child is very serious, actually. It has a lot yeah. of solutions to a lot of problems out there. So yeah. I don't yeah. want to be always like that because that child is very serious. And it took, as I grew older, to see that I was actually, the older I got, the younger I got. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, well, that, I mean, that also... Um, talking about the inner rock star, mm. there's a kind of, um, uh, what's the word? It's kind of lack of, <laughs> oh, God, wait a minute. It's not lack of respect. What's the word? Irreverence. That's there, There's a kind of irreverence for rules, but not all rules. Mm. It's just, well, that that's a rather foolish rule, you know, that you could say... Um, you know, the, the, the government at the moment, they say, now we're going to do this. Now you've got to wear a mask. Now you've got... And then they... But the, but they, they just seem to be making it up. They I mean, are making the, it up, aren't they? The uh, <laughs> You can you can go to the zoo and you can go to the fun fair, but you can't go to school. Um, you can drive to test your eyesight. Um, you're allowed to do that because it's looking after your child. You know, 
for then for mm. for one PR person to say that was kind of crazy enough. But then the next day, for another MP to say, "Yeah, I often go for a drive myself to test my eyesight." You think who, who are these people? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I am beginning to wonder. I have to say, yeah. I mean, and and not only that, but how do they think? They they are getting away with it. I mean, they are getting away with it. They are, but mm. but really, they should just be. Uh, you talk about imposter syndrome. They they should just they should get a knock on the door the next day. So we've heard that thing you said about testing your eyesight by going for a drive, and um, I'm afraid you're sacked. You know, no, nobody else would get away with that. And as they said, I don't know if you listened to that um, podcast, fortunately, by um, Jane Garvey and Feed Lover. No, I haven't, no. They were saying, imagine if a woman politician had said that. And I suddenly thought, yeah, you know, I mean, they they would be laughed out. I mean, they'd just be branded as dangerous. Mm -hmm. Whereas men, you know, public school men can say these things and it just, just, you know, becomes yesterday's news. I I mean, and they say we're, we're very proud of our record on coronavirus. Well... The numbers shouldn't make them proud. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And I look out there, Tom, and I try not to look at the news, I will be honest with you, because it's a wave of something that I don't want to be part of. So I'm very, very careful what I read, what I look at, to the point I'm in my own fairy world because it's much nicer there, actually. And, yeah, well, um, it's an option, yeah. <laughs> my friend said to me, you're just in some sort of fairy world. I, you know, just, why are you just thinking about cats, she said to me the other day. And I said, because it's nice. And she's sending me all these, you know, people like to send you all the latest knowledge of the experts on Facebook and everywhere yeah. else. And I said, please don't send me that anymore. And she said, yeah. why not? And I said... Because I'm quite all right where I am in my world. I don't want to be part of that. And she said, oh, you're in denial. No, I'm not in denial. I just choose to spend my energy elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's... I I think if you choose to um, go forward with it and kind of do good stuff, Mm. I think that's fine. I, I think some people are in denial in they say well if i don't hurt anyone if i don't do if i don't do this if i don't do that but sometimes as all these quotes are coming out now from people like nelson mandela and desmond tutu and uh, civil rights people they say if you say nothing when uh oppression is going on Mm. if you if you think you can be neutral actually you're taking this side of the oppressor because that's what the oppressor wants so, uh, so I think it's. Um, I believe that. Line. There's a fine line between you know because, I mean, all those quotes they say if you keep quiet, who's going to stand up for you when they mm. come for you? There'll mm. be nobody left. So, uh, but but you can drive you mad because it's there's your sphere of influence and your sphere of control and your sphere of concern or your circle of concern. And if you spend your life in a circle of concern but with no influence, you just burn out. Mm. So, yeah. so how, um, Tom, how do you deal with all of this that's going on around you? What sort of projects are you involved in? Tell us a little bit about that. 
One of them is The Wild Twin, which I'm I'm in love with that, I think, because mm. I have to find that. You're going to have to give me de- details of that because that yeah, just yeah. sounds amazing. Tell us yeah. what else that you do, because I know you do lots of other things as well. Well, um, my... I mean, uh, my skill set really is... Uh, I do have quite a lot of rhythm and... I do see people activated by rhythm. Uh, you started right at the beginning talking about the sort of tribal thing. Mm. Um, people are activated by rhythm, and I, I take my drums to uh, street demonstrations for Extinction Rebellion when they were on and stuff like that. So I know I can bring people together. That's what I'm good at, bringing people together. And then build. it's like sometimes I build a musical platform for other people to dance on and by dance, I mean to share their message. So, for instance, I did something with Lynn Franks for One Billion Rising, which was a number of speakers uh, speaking at Marble Arch. And I got, I think I trained up 40 drummers beforehand in order to draw the crowd. Then once the crowd were drawn, let me turn the mics on and got people speaking on the stage about One Billion Rising, which is a, it's a women's activist group around abuse. Mm. And what, what we can do about, uh, especially about women's abuse worldwide. Um, so I do things like that. It, if I go into companies, like I did some work with uh, Hertz, and I talked to their CEO about Ubuntu, the spirit of Ubuntu, I am because we are, which is something we learned about in South Africa. And it ended up in a whole sort of culture change program through hurts this was a few years ago of um you know people really looking after each other people mm. really listening to each other through and that was just through one conversation actually we were flying to paris to a gig and um he, he asked if he could sit next to me because we hadn't met and he knew i was going to be doing the i was meant to be just doing a warm-up and uh, i ended mm. up uh, run, uh, not not running the whole show but being supplying the energy and the um the sort of base of the ubuntu basis of that whole roadshow thing we did a roadshow on a private plane would you believe wow have a private plane i read about that you did something on the empire state building did i read that correctly yeah 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 when um i had a gig in new york for a company up on the 17th floor so i had to hire the drums in america Mm. i had a couple of I had two contacts there. I got, they had about 20 drums each, so I got them to bring them. And the security people were saying, this is the first time this has ever happened. (laughs) 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 We get them in the side door. (laughs) But that felt great because I'd also, I used to live in New York probably about 20 years before, and I worked partly with a homeless organization when I was there, and we used to broadcast our radio show, and that came out of that tower on, on the top of the Empire State. So that always amused me, you know, that this radio signal with our songs, you know, Bob Marley and stuff wow. coming out of the Empire State. So, I mean, uh, you, you could pretty much point me anywhere in the world and say, tell me a story about that. And I generally, I have some, some reference. Um, but now, right now, mm. I'm... When lockdown started, and I mm-hmm. couldn't be on the road with my van full of drums, mm. uh, going around either doing 
demos or corporate gigs or whatever organizations uh i thought i've kind of, i've written about three quarters of a book i thought i maybe i should complete the book maybe i should do other people's videos because I, I, I was going to I'd ask be. you about that is there a book yeah. in the pipeline yeah yeah there is yeah mm. yeah i know it's mad that it's not out yet but yeah anyway I, I, I shouldn't really talk about that because it would just take me down a rabbit hole of self-recrimination. <laughs> well, no, you know what? Everything in its time. There's a time. There's, yeah. a, there's a, a divine timing, I believe, for everything. Yeah. And um, we can't literally, as the saying goes, we can't take today what belongs to tomorrow. I really believe that. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Mm. But I mean, there's bits of it on my website. If you go to tommorley.com and look at the blog page, mm. there's about, and there's probably about 20 pieces there that will be in the book. Uh, and that is the style. Um, so, yeah, I thought I could do that. And then I got asked to, how I got asked to do this, I don't know, the first one, just to do a drumming session online. And I thought, how, how am I going to do that? <laughs> Anyway, so I, I thought I know what I'll do. Because I wanted people to be playing to quality music, I thought I'll show them some rhythms on some wooden spoons at the screen. Mm. Everyone's got wooden spoons or something, you know, mm. hit an old uh, ice cream tub or something with a chopstick. Could be anything that's in the house. Mm. I'll teach them like clave, which I've got some wooden spoons here. So, for instance, if it was... talk a bit about the origin of the clave in Cuba and then I'll play a song, I'll pump a song into their home via Zoom which you can share your sound mm. so um, it will sound like it's coming straight out of their own speaker system. Oh as, wow you know, Are you, would you mind giving us a little sample? Something like clave like this And then uh, I'm going to play you something now, which is a kind of remix of Pump Up the Jam, where I've mixed in that clave beat so people hear it in their own homes while they're mm. clicking along. And But also they hear a remix of Pump Up the Jam, which is a great song. It's booming out of their speakers. And um, and then the I call it a paradigm shift. I think it is. I get them all to go into gallery view. And so you see 30 people on the screen who are also doing it, muted, because if we put everybody on in their different timings, it would sound awful <laughs> because technology doesn't exist for us to play in time yet. Mm. So, so we're making visual music. We're, we're playing, we're hearing it sound good in our own homes. We're hearing us play in sync with ourselves in our own homes. And we're watching 30 other people or 60 other people if there's two, you know, two pages, three pages. And people go crazy, and it, it's amazing. And then I don't mind that whole, if they start waving scarves around, that's fine. You know, it's because <laughs> they're, doing, they're doing it to really good music. You know? <laughs> and, then, um, so, and then if I put a song like, uh, so I'll show you if I, if I play a shaker, mm -hmm. um, and I just say, just get something. Uh, it could be, hold on a second. It'd just be a pill jar. Yeah, so you might have some vitamin pills. That's cool. That's uh, very cool. Boring. Yeah, so, so I'd just say it would be boring if we did that for half an hour. So I'm going to play you 
a song that we can shake along to. And then I've got um, a version of Walk Like an Egyptian, which I'll play you now, mm-hmm. and you'll hear the intros. Uh, I've kind of extended the shaking bit. And then when the bell, when that bell comes in, dang, everyone goes, oh, it's Walk Like an Egyptian. And they all start doing the moves. Oh. So you see, you see this screen full, you know, 30 different characters Doing all, it's like watching um, hieroglyphics on a pyramid wall. It, it's that, but live. So that is the sort of revolution that I'm part of at the moment. I think I'm probably in the vanguard of it because most other drummers, especially, are waiting for um, what they call the latency to be sorted out. Latency is, is talking about the difference in timing. It could be a microsecond. But it means we can't play in time on on the screen. Everyone gets their signals at different times because we're mm. bouncing off satellites and we've all got different internet speeds. So, um, so I've just given up on that idea and I've just gone for the visual aspect of it and the quality music in their own homes. So it seems to be working. So, so now, I'm, as I've developed that, I thought, well, this isn't going to go on forever. So I'm getting this a whole studio set up where I can have 10 other drummers with me here in the studio mm. and I will say alright so you lot you lot are going to be playing with this five out there you lot are going to be playing with this five and then we'll play two kind of um, interlocking rhythms and then people out there in the world be they in you know I, I've done events with people in America in Australia in London all at the same time so they're all playing together and they're all seeing each other visually with different, some of the sunset behind them, some of the sunrise oh behind them. Oh, my goodness. How amazing <laughs> is that? It really is amazing. So it's... Wow. Um, and all, they all know they're here in the same record, be it uh, Pump Up the Jam. Or, and and we, we got asked by Morning Gloryville, who I do a lot of work with, um, to... There was a company in America who really wanted to support pride gay pride mm. so they said would we facilitate a party for them online and so um so i had the honor of talking to them first and setting up the first song so i said before i play you this song um you know do you promise to funk the whole funk and nothing but the funk <laughs> yeah, yeah and i played in one nation under a groove and i tell you they were just, within 30 seconds, they were in the chat boxes. This is the best Zoom ever. One Nation Under a They were bringing all their rainbow flags to the screen. It was like, man. Wow. It's like being carnival on, uh, carnival on the third day. It was just phenomenal. And how did you feel? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, I'm feeling it, it off of you now as you're explaining just, all this to me. How does it make yeah. you feel, Tom? I mean, as far as kind of acting, I felt very fulfilled, you know, mm. I, because I was, you know, I was chosen to do that partly because I'm really kind of easy with an audience. You know, I've been talking to people for a long time, partly because mm. I'm a bit irreverent. So the fact that the CEO was there and, you know, I, I'm not, I don't feel, you know, or I have to be careful. I just think, right, these people are ready. And that's what that's that was part of the feedback. I was just ready to get out of my chair. I've been sitting on Zoom for for the past eight weeks. Thank God, where someone said, "Get up and dance." You know, so. Yeah. And they saw each other. Yeah. All I had to do it was like lighting the 
I mean, it's talking about feeling. It was like having got myself to the position where I was allowed to light the blue touch paper of the firework. Then all I had to do was stand back and watch the fireworks in the sky. Oh but and that, that is a good feeling because um, I just knew which which uh, song. I, as soon as they said, "Will you play the first song?" I knew which one it should be. It should be One Nation Under Group. Um, because that's what America needs right now, and they're mainly American, and uh, it's such a great song. You know, do you promise to the heart? And uh, here's a way to dance our way out of our restrictions. I think that's one of the first lines of One Nation Under Groups. So it was all in there. All in there. It was all, um, in a way, you, you sort of lit that inspiration that... Mm enlightened everyone at the same time it was there's some magic to that isn't there there is and and that um there's almost something zen about it you know it's so simple but like all those you know calligraphers they they practice and practice and practice and then they do it in three strokes but those three strokes have taken 20 30 years to yeah you know that that's what it felt like there's a kind of mastery that isn't uh, it's nothing to do with puffed up arrogance. Mm. It's nothing to do with me and my brand. It's just, oh yeah, I know how to do this. I'm the person for the job. That's you know, so. it's a subtle mastery. That... It is, yeah. Mm. And you know, you've trained and you've mm. trained, and you have to make all sorts of mistakes. Some, you know, some people are going to hate you. Some people are going to be different. Some people are going to get activated straight away. You, you have to, you know, deal with all of that. You know. If you try and be a master of something so that everybody will love you, good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Abso- yeah, good luck. Good luck. Absolutely good luck with that. Yeah, been there, done that, and, you know, yeah, got the T-shirt, yeah. so to speak. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now, Tom, you talk about spirituality. This is something that interests me. Mm. And share a little bit about that, because... I'm fascinated with drums. I've watched people play. I've watched, you know, and listened to Bedouins in the desert. I've listened to all sorts of people play drums. And for me, it's one of my favourite instruments and that I've had the most... I don't know, I've seen people whirl to it. I've seen people walk on fire with drums. I've seen all sorts of things. And there's a huge power in it. And I... I feel this really strongly that there's something that you're doing that is out of this world. Hmm. I, that's weird that you say it's out of this world. I, I think it can create out of this world experiences, but for, for the drummer, you need to get into the world and you need to get deeper and you need to get... I mean, roots, you know, they call it roots. Mm. Um, you need to go deep. Um, it's not a kind of looking up to the stars type thing for the actual player. The player's got to go in, in, in and connect to the ground. Um, and and you have to be, this again is, is interesting regarding mastery, especially in these times, in this mm. century, when everyone wants innovations. Give me the new, give me the new, give me the new drummers deal with repetition and very often it's quite a simple repetition but like that mastery of the calligraphy could Mm. be the same move the same move same i'll do it again today i'll do it again today but the more you do that 
you it becomes part of you to the point where you go, all right, now I surrender. So that whole thing of the groove being found at the crossroads of discipline and surrender, you need to have the groundedness of the discipline and the kind of the mental discipline. Say, I'm going to learn it, I'm going to learn it, I'm going to learn it. Now I'm going to forget it and see what comes. And what will come is a platform you've already built plus a dance you've maybe never done before. But um, so. Sorry, I don't really answer your question. <laughs> no, no, but it's fascinating. Um, um, I still would like it, to know, but what I wanted to say to you was, mm, before you do answer it, I wanted to say something to you, is mm, that I know what you're saying about that you have to be in this world, but there's something about drummers that somehow they're a bridge to another world. Oh, and yeah. there's a part of them that's not of this world. It It's... I don't know. It is like this huge um, power of divinity, call it what you want, but it's a source of power that becomes part of them and therefore entrances the people in, in a way that I can't even put into words. It's something to do with the beat of the heart. It's like one well, heartbeat. I think what you're what you're asking it's a bit like um, asking a fish to describe water yes. um, because obviously we uh, like I said I wasn't a drummer from the start but certainly it was um, you know professionally but certainly it was in me uh, rhythm and uh, so it's a bit hard for me to describe it because it's just how I am. It, the, the weird thing is, when um, when we first started working in studios with, yeah. uh, in, in the 80s, I got a video camera when I was working with Bowie and people, well, I just used to have it set up in the corner and i just leave it on. And I noticed whenever anybody played anything in the studio, even if it was just, can we just hear that, uh, that bass loop again or can we just hear that? Other people would be standing around chatting or drinking or something, and as soon as that beat came on, I'd I'd see myself start moving to the beat, and then as soon as they said, "Yeah, I think we use another loop," I'd stop. So I could see, man, am I tuned in to the beat? Now, if you'd have asked me about that, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. I'd have just said, "No, I'm just the same as everybody else." But I that could be something you're referring to that the drummers are just sort of tuned in to the groove in a way that we can channel it for others immediately yes yes so that's what i mean i think it's the immediacy you're mm. referring to it's like we don't even that's why i say it's like the water that we swim in um we wouldn't question it we wouldn't go oh i better get warmed up now <laughs> yeah it, it's natural to you we're already warmed up. Yes. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure there's dancers who would say exactly the same. Mm. Um, you know, you'd, you'd see them, and you'd see a car go past, pumping out some music, and you'd see them get into the groove straight away. That's some. That's a mystical experience. Well, um, okay, I, I accept that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it's <laughs> mystical in some way. <laughs> To me, it's normal, but um, 
So, but you experience that. I, I tell you, I, I set up this Facebook page called mm-hmm. What the Drums Say, and I'll send you a link to it. Yes, and you please. Can let your people know because on that, for about five years, uh, I've collected every blog, every article, every piece of anecdotal evidence and scientific evidence for what you're talking about. It's called What the Drums Say. It's not it's not a membership site. It's just a page that I, it's almost like my sort of library. So I don't lose all this stuff. Okay, and it's run by and, you. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But and anybody can go there. Any you only need to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to have a look down there because that also talks about how drummers are wired up different, how their brains are different, mm. and it has all the neuroscience of it. That interests yeah, that, me. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it is that you've put actually, it in a much says, better way than I have. <laughs> it, says, it says we're quite special people when it comes to problem solving because we see patterns. And I think what you were referring to when you were talking about uh, how you could see things as a child, the adults couldn't, mm. you probably had a similar view where you see the patterns and you think, well, well why are you doing That's not going to work. Yeah. I I would look up it's very true what you're saying because I think maybe that's why I'm in love with drums I I, I love drums so much and I used to look at people and think as a child think I don't know why you're doing that because it's nonsense and it's never going to work but oh well Exactly. Well, because they would be following a list, mm. a linear list Mm. and you'd see the pattern so like you'd see that if you again in the metaphor terms, it's like you're looking at a kaleidoscope and they're looking yes. at a shopping list. And so you think, well, but, but if you twist it, mm. the whole thing's going to move. You know, the pattern's going to move. Whereas they think, I'll oh, just tick something off the list and everything's going to get better. It's a, it's a, their list is rotating. <laughs> Absolutely that. I was going to say kaleidoscope because that's the only way I could describe my childhood was a kaleidoscope. Yeah. That made sense. Uh-huh. There you go. But nothing else made sense. Only this moving of patterns made sense. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, one thing moves, everything moves. Yes. It's all, you know, it's all connected mm. and it's all fascinating. Yeah. It's and a story. Also, yeah, it's a story. And you'll never, ever see the same pattern in the kaleidoscope. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's amazing. I love that. I love that because... Um, I still have a kaleidoscope, I have to tell you. I've still kept it since a child. And I look into it, you know, I don't know, a few times a year, and I think, this is life, you know. This is the secret of life, that every one of us is connected. If one person moves, everything has to move. Everything moves, yeah. And and the weird thing, I don't know if you've ever done any um, psychedelic drugs, but... It's a similar... I haven't actually, no. <laughs> okay. It, well, it's a similar thing. You can look at anything. Mm. Uh, it could be a piece of moss on a garage roof and it would have that kind of kaleidoscope effect in that that would become the centre of the pattern. And then you can create a whole kind of iconography and whole philosophy around it. Then you move and you see a doorknob and, you, and exactly the same happens. That goes on for eight hours. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's another story for another day. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> that's yeah. another story for another day. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So, are you going to tell me a little bit about your spirituality? Uh, yeah. What do you want to know? Tell me a little bit about 
what it means for you in your life? Um, what it brings to you? Well, I think I would always begin with my values, which are pretty much justice is always in there. Justice, love, connection, imagination. So um, spiritually, uh, imagination is kind of important to me because be it uh, creative visualization or just closing my eyes, sometimes Dawn asks me what's going on. And I say, oh, there's these colours and they're doing this and they're, oh, now they're streaming and now we're, we're by a river and it, you know, I have this kind of feeling about it. And uh, and I just get that just from closing my eyes. Now, spiritually, um, I think a lot is is talked about about enlightenment as, as if it's a shopping list you do this workshop you do that you sign up for that you do this three-year course you do the advanced course yeah. you do the plan personally i think it's all nonsense because i um i mean i've been through enlightenment intensive things and and in a way that there isn't anywhere else to go um i've done it you know i've been there and 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 what do you do you know you come home and you wash up (laughs) there's a famous saying isn't there about that but i don't know who said it um it's something like before enlightenment yes carry carry water and chop wood after enlightenment carry wood that's the one that's the (laughs) one yes that's absolutely the one um but yeah it's an interesting thing so so i i know what what is i mean for for me it's an everyday practice of gratitude and many times that'll just be blimey there's water coming out of my tap all i had to do was think i'd like some water and all i had to do is turn this tap and Mm. there's the water and that that is i have these you know a thousand experiences like that day of gratitude and i think my spiritual practice is to remain grateful not only to remain grateful but be generous with what i've got because um that kind of amplifies it and and i think if if there's anything that kind of ennobles us as people as as a species then it's being generous why why wouldn't we be and this, I think, is actually one of my sort of pet hates, I have to say, say is that um, when people are stingy, let's put it, let's call it stingy. <laughs> and um, it, not, I'm not talking even about money. I'm talking about with time, with their time, yeah. with their presence. Uh, and I was talking to another guest um, last week and they were saying, you know, I just want someone to be present to be present with me, even if it's five minutes, just be present with me, with my soul, with my energy, mm. and be grateful for that person. Having yeah. said, you know, even five minutes of someone's life is a huge thing because life is yeah. so short, isn't it? Yeah. Well, one of my first teachers, Richard Moss, said... Um best gift the highest gift you can give anyone is the quality of your attention yeah 
and uh, I've always remembered that, and and it certainly worked for me in our marriage, you know, and and with, with especially in, in our marriage, but um, you know, with other people sometimes I'm, I meet and I think, oh, they just, you know, they're thinking they need all this to connect. We need to go to this place, have this drink, have that, da, 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 you know, mm. and then everything be perfect. I think all they need is someone to pay attention actually to them that that's what they're after mm. and in a full full-on attention way but it's it's one of the most difficult things for people to do because we've all got all these pings around us you know we should you know i mean metaphorically we should all turn our, our notifications off <laughs> yes it, it's true it's true i've actually got my phone on silent and then I miss a lot of things. But then, you know, I always think, well, people can leave a message, of course. Um, but I do have it because it's that noise. It's too much noise sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've invented more and more ways to not be spiritual, uh, you know, because... And, and why? It's because advertisers want our attention because mm. they want to tell us something to fill the gap that we're making deliberately so they can sell us stuff. I mean, I mean the, the whole government thing, save, save the economy by going out and buying non-essential items. I, I, I thought, how do they have the nerve to, to even yeah. say that? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, it's a strange time, I have to say, and I, I don't know about you, Tom, but people are finding it increasingly difficult that I have seen to be actually with themselves in this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really tough. I mean, it's mm. really tough now mm. because it's not so tough for artists because we're used to things going up and down and being rich, being poor, being ignored, yeah. being applauded. You know, it's it just comes and goes. Whereas for a lot of people, they thought, you know, that what we were talking about at the beginning, they thought they were signing up for security, that they compromised their whole rock star thing by saying, I won't do the rock star thing, I'll, I'll be secure and have that regular money in, in the bank at the end of each week. And I know where I'm going. Mm. And now nobody's got that security. So it's a tumultuous time for, it, well, for everybody. Yeah. And I think that, as you say, artists and writers, I know uh, with my own work, it's been okay because I'm used to that type of tempo of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is, it's an artistic way of life. I suppose it's a dervish style of life. Um, <clears throat> you just deal with what's going on in this present moment. That's the only thing that you can do. But yeah. people have been dragged literally by their hair and said, you know, you have to find who you are. This is how I feel. I feel people are saying, because a lot of my friends and um, clients are saying to me, I don't know who I am now. I said, what do you mean you don't know who you are? And they're saying, well, I haven't got my job. A lot of them have lost their jobs or working from home. And I said, well, what do you mean? And a neighbour said to me, I'm drinking one bottle of wine a day and I said why and he said because I don't want to think about things wow so I said well, what don't you want to think about he said I don't want to think about who I am and I was shocked 
And I thought, well, I'm thinking about who I am every bloody day, you know. Yeah. But it's normal for me, you know, in my, yeah. in my industry and my, you know. But it's not for everyone. And I think it's going to be a time of great transition. I don't know what you think about that. I think um, there's a possibility. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any judgment uh, about them not having thought about that before because they haven't had the chance that yes. the education system didn't help them. The government mm -hmm. certainly don't want them to think. They just want them to consume. Mm -hmm. um, so there's been no encouragement. Uh, I think there's an opportunity, but the when I saw people fighting to get into Nike town on the day that the shops were open and uh, I, I saw that I did see what? that uh, maybe this, this opportunity isn't going to be taken <laughs> I mean we've had our pause we've all had our time cooking with our kids walking outside you know mm. being in nature more whatever people have been doing like I say we, we haven't drunk at all during lockdown it just didn't seem like the right thing to do we, we're not total teetotalers but we hardly drink anyway but you know i gave up sugar yeah, yeah I, everything that was bad for me i just gave it up uh it seemed just it was no effort it's just right this is lockdown right mm. but other other people have gone the other way as you say they're numbing out and they're saying they're putting on weight and uh, you, you don't want to do any of that stuff while you're in a vulnerable position you want to train like a warrior and then be ready, you know, vigilant is the word, yes. you know, I never, uh, like I say, I've been through a lot of enlightenment experiences, but I'm vigilant because as soon as I feel blessed or think I'm special, something happens, you know, some ladder falls on my head or, yes. <laughs> because I wasn't watching, you know, yeah. you, we've got to be super vigilant and, and that is the, it's the sad thing about people coming out of lockdown to me or people in lockdown. They're wandering around on the streets uh, in a sort of daze. And, um, man, have we got to be ready. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah. We're the last generation who can save this planet or save people on the planet. And, uh, we, you know, we've just got to be at it every day. Really being we have aware. to, yeah, we have to be. And um, I think that one of the main things is to become aware and to be vigilant, like you say, and mm. also to become humble. Yeah. Because well, one of the things uh, that have always hit me very hard is even if I go a little bit of, well, you know, actually, you know, I've done this, wham, something yeah. happens and yeah. shocks me. Yeah, well, I think there's there's humble in front of nature. Mm. And I think there's humble in front of leaders. Uh, and I I think the whole thing, you know, that Nelson Mandela said, I think, quote, Marianne Williamson, about don't hide your light under a bushel, you're serving no one mm. by playing small. I think the people who do know and do feel and do have that kind of generous spirit for the planet need to be on stage. They need to be speaking up now. I don't think it's a thing we do... Well, I mean, I'm speaking for myself. It's a thing I don't want to do quietly anymore. Mm. Just survive in the background. Um, I want to be part of the solution. That's very so, beautiful. So. That's very beautiful. I, I like that. I I absolutely join you in that. Yeah. 
Yeah, which uh, I mean, which to to be honest, that's why I said I'll be on your show, mm. uh, and I do have another one to do at six o'clock. Oh, so. oh, <laughs> you need. I may the... have to go soon. I'm very happy to talk to you again. Yes, please come uh, again, come again, yeah. and um, I would love to have you on again. Of course, I Thank would. Um, so, but before you go, before you go, Tom, yeah. where can yeah. people get hold of you? Well, everything is on my website. My name is Tom Morley, and my website is tommorley.com. That's M-O-R-L-E-Y, M-O-R-L-E-Y, two M's, Tom and Morley. Um, so everything about my virtual work is there, team-building work, all social media links are there. I was advised by um, a friend just to have one place that people can go. So that's like the hub of my life. And you can always write to me from there. If, if there's uh, something you can't find there, just write to me via the contact page and I'll write back to you. Wonderful. Don't, and you're happy don't, for don't, people don't, to contact, contact you. you. Yeah, yeah. I think my phone number's there, but there's a message on my answer phone that says, don't leave me a message. I haven't listened to a message for five years. <laughs> <laughs> Text me. Facebook is the best way if you send me a Facebook request because I'm on Facebook all the time. It's where I kind of live. Okay, that's your hangout place. That's my hangout. It's my favourite social media place, Facebook or LinkedIn. All right, then. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Tom. And before you go, I just have to ask you one more thing, and that is I always ask my guests for Mm. a little bit of wisdom that you Mm. would give to the listeners out there Something that has helped you in life that can help others as well. A little piece of advice. I would say serenade, serendipity. Um, Lubricate the groove and walk the talk until you're dancing. Lovely. Amazing. Thank you. You were amazing. You are amazing. Come again. I look forward to it. Thanks. Okay. Take care. care. Bye. Bye, Bye, Tom. Bye. Bye. Tom Morley. Wow. What can I say? How absolutely amazing is it to have one of your favourite pop stars on your podcast? It's brilliant. Wonderful, wonderful. And what a fascinating um, journey Tom has led. And what's really, really great is that he helps so many people now in such a positive and inspirational way. Absolutely love his work. And don't miss at the end of the episode, um, two pieces of Tom's work that he has done with other people. And you're going to love it, I know. So take a listen at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for being here with me and sharing really beautiful moments with some amazing guests. I really appreciate you joining me and sharing this part of this amazing journey called life. Until next time, look after yourselves and lots of love.
Thank you for listening to Secrets for an Inspirational Life, brought to you by your host, Mimi Novik. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and see you in the next episode. For more information about Mimi Novik and her books, music, and inspirational work, take a look at her website, www.miminovic.co.uk.